Well, good morning. It is so great to be with you in the house of the Lord as we continue to grow into an overflowing relationship with Jesus. I want to welcome those who are here visiting family from outside of town and you're here on the weekend. Welcome to the harbor. We hope that you feel at home. Come on. Welcome you this morning. And uh, if you're watching online and you're connecting with us from a distance or you're away, maybe away visiting family this weekend, but you're tuning in, we want to welcome you also. We just pray that you would just know the presence of God where you are at. We can feel his presence in this room. And uh, I just know that God's presence is not a uh, resist, uh, uh, limited rather to a space, but he can meet each one of us when we pursue him wherever we are. And uh, we want to welcome you this morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be the house of the Lord. And uh, we are starting a new series uh, called The Book of James, or we are actually going to be working through the entire book of James. And James has got to be one of my favorites. I absolutely love this book. It's, I think the reason why I love it so much is because it's short, you know? And you can read it in a single sitting, in a sitting, you know? And if you're a slow reader like myself, you know, you, know, you feel like you accomplished something. But it feels like everything he says just speaks right to the heart, and we're going to jump in that. I'm excited about that, but I want to let you know that all of our notes available on YouVersion Bible app. Again, I'm a big fan of the YouVersion Bible app. If you have not downloaded that app to your phone, that free app, I want to encourage you to do so. You can even acknowledge our church as your church, and you can kind of see all the plans that we're recommending, and it just builds community together. Uh, but all of our notes are available in there. If you go to the events page, you'll see the Harbor Church, and you can see all of our notes. You can save those notes. You can add your own notes to them and save them for later, and uh, especially when we go through this kind of stuff. I just really want you to know, because paper never forgets. Paper never forgets. But before we jump into this, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know we just sat down. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet again, and we're going to get in a habit of, before we kind of unpack each section of this. We're going to actually read scripture together. We're going to read the kind of the whole passage which we're talking about, and then we're going to have, we're just going to have some fun talking about it. It will be on the screen there for you to follow along. It starts in James 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider a pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work in you so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he may receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and, and, and unstable in all he does. A brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one, in rich, the one who is rich should take pride in the low position, because he will pass away like a, wild, like a wildflower. For the sun rises and scorches with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. But blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And when you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away 
and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from God, from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose, he chose, to, give birth, uh, he chose to give his birth through his word of truth that we might be some kind of first fruits of all creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that it gives life and hope. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what your word has for us today. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may go ahead and be seated. Just as we jump into the context of this book, I think it'd be great for us to understand the context in which this book was written. And uh, if we understand, if we're tracking through the early church, if we were to read the New Testament, you see there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then we get into Acts. And Acts is really the story or the account of the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all happen in, kind of in the same time period when Jesus was on the earth. There are four accounts of the same time. And then Jesus is now ascended into heaven and the church has been born and birthed, the early church. We're about chapters eight and nine in the book of Acts where James then begins to write his letter to the church. And what has happened, why this is so important, is that it's around Acts eight and nine where we actually begin to see the church being persecuted. Actually, Stephen was one of the first martyrs for his faith following Jesus. In fact, if you want a little tidbit information, Saul, who we know as Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was really the, the leader of this martyrdom who he actually, they said that they actually laid their cloaks in front of, front of Paul after they, they martyred, they stoned Stephen for his faith. And so this set the whole church sort of in a disarray and they all began to scatter, the Bible says, throughout Judea and Samaria. And so the church, the Christians weren't meeting the way they used to meeting. The early followers, the first followers of Jesus weren't gathering in the same way for fear of their life. They were, they were afraid that they were going to die. They were afraid that they were going to be imprisoned or worse. And so they began to scatter. If you look at the New Testament, we see the Gospels, but there's also, there's 21 epistles, they're called, or 21 letters. 12 of them, or 13 of them, are written by Paul. This Saul who became Paul after he encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus to persecute the church. He has this encounter with God, and he completely transforms, and he becomes an apostle. And now instead of being martyred, uh, uh, martyring people for the faith, imprisoning people for it, he becomes one of faith and experiences incredible persecution. But that's a story for another day. But we're picking up, and then there's 11 other, or eight other, rather, epistles. Eight other epistles, and the one we're looking at today is the one that James wrote, to the scattered church of Israel. History tells us that this was actually the very first letter written in the New Testament. Even though it's at the end of the book, if you were to look at the Bible, the New Testament is kind of at the end of the New Testament or near the end, it was actually the very first book, very first letter written. And again, this is in an age where, you know, people weren't blogging. You know, it's not like they had like a podcast set up and he was just jumping on the train. Like the last letters were like Malachi, like 400 years earlier, you know, before Jesus came. The Old Testament was like the last kind of parchment and writing. So he's coming into these, I gotta, I gotta let people know. I gotta let people know. So he writes this letter and he's writing it specifically to the Jewish followers who have been scattered. So really it's, this is like fresh, 
hot off the press, eight or nine years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we kind of look at this very first verse, James 1.1, we get a glimpse of who James himself was. Well, James, he says, it says in 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Important for us to understand, well, who is this James? Well, James introduces himself humbly, right? He humbles himself and introduces himself as a servant. And it's important for us to know that because he was a servant, he honored, he wanted to honor God. James did not introduce himself as the brother of Jesus. See, this is the James who is the half-brother of Jesus. Don't you think that'd be a more important way to start? Hey, I want to let you know about my authority. As the stepbrother, the half-brother of Jesus, the Messiah, I need you to listen to me. He doesn't do that. He submits himself and he says, as a humble servant, as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to hear from me. Can you imagine James, among others, who grew up knowing that your older brother was the Messiah? Like if there is proof that the gospel is real, I think the fact that his little brother acknowledges it is a pretty good essence on that side of the coin. You know, that he grows up and he's like, he believes that he's the Messiah and he acknowledges that he's the Messiah and not only acknowledges that he's like, he acts as a servant towards the Messiah. He gives his life towards this mission and the message of Jesus. It's important for us to note that this is not James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. If you look at the 12 disciples, sometimes we hear the name James when it comes to the 12 disciples. And this brother James is not that James. This is a different James. And uh, James is the brother of Jesus. Jesus, James, it doesn't say that James is actually one of his disciples. I think, you know, I, I would imagine James, like the rest of the family, were working through things. We didn't even see James. He's not even introduced in the story of the crucifixion. We see Mary. We see his mother. We see John, the one that he loved, the disciple who he loved. But we never see his, the rest of his family. History tells us that his dad, Joseph, his stepfather, had passed away, he's not in the scene anymore, but we really don't hear a whole lot about his siblings until we really get to James's letter to the church. At some point along the way, he did become a follower of Jesus, and he was part of the 140 that were in the upper room at the beginning of Acts when they received the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. History tells us that, that James actually became the pastor towards Jerusalem, and some even call him the very first pope, the one who lead, led the local home church. And he shares throughout his letters some pretty hard truths. In fact, we could probably just read it, go home, and let the word of God speak to us, because it's very clear. Like, you don't have to have a doctor to understand what he's trying to say. He says it very cleanly, very plainly, and he tells you very directly what is right and what is wrong. You just have to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. I mean, I don't need to get up here and go back to the original Greek word. We don't need to do that. You know, we can just allow the word. It, he speaks, but because of his humble position, we can receive his harsh and sometimes hard words a little easier, right? Because it's coming from a guy who really, really wants you to win. Like he really wants you to understand what it's like to live a Christian life. James is often known as the how-to manual for Christian living. It's the New Testament version of the Old Testament Proverbs. You know, it's a book of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And if you could apply these principles to your life, it will make you rich and understanding. He talks about topics like suffering and trials and difficulties that can be experienced. He, he talks about God's, prog God's desire for progress, not so much perfection 
as we follow Jesus. And he talks about the earthly riches and comfort that will never satisfy our soul. And so for the next six weeks, including today, we're going to kind of chop through it, this, this, this book, kind of chapter by chapter, and allow the Word of God to speak to us. But because we're going to start, we're starting right at the very beginning, and he jumps right into, because James is speaking to Jesus' followers uh, who have been scattered because of persecution, because of hardship, because of difficulties, James comes right out of the gates, and he talks about two themes that none of us like to hear about or talk about. He talks about trials, and he talks about temptations. You know, as a Christian, we want, to, we want the joy side, we want the grace side, we want the blessing side, we want the, the poured out life side, we want, we want the benefits of faith. We don't want to talk about the trials and the temptations of what it's like to follow Jesus, but it's very important. I'm kind of, le- kind of just going to give you a bunch of information. I hope it resonates, and I hope you can hear it today. But here, there's two thoughts that he talks about, and it's really clear for us to understand the difference between trials and temptations. What is a trial? A trials are situations that happen to us. Okay, so these are outside forces. These are trials that happen to us, where James will then continue to tell us that temptations then, rather, are struggles that happen within us. Okay? You need to understand that. If you have a pen, you want to write that down. Because this, this will come back, you will need this, because you're going to hit a temptation, you're going to think this is from God, that this is coming from the outside. No, temptations are struggles that happen within us, where trials are, str- are situations that happen to us. And we need to understand the difference if we're going to understand truly how to grow in wisdom and understanding in knowledge. And so let's take a look at the tension of these two, the, t- the tension of these two. So James starts right off the top, that trials are coming, right? Trials are coming. If that's a word of encouragement for you, you can take that home with you. Guess what? It's going to get harder. Guess what? It's gonna, you're going to hit a wall. Guess what? You're going to have trials. You're going to hit some tribulations. You're going to hit a roadblock. It's going to happen. So how do we walk in this? And here's the big idea. Here's the, you can write this down. Is that if we don't quit, we win. Like it's, a, it's, it's like it's not just about, it's not just about, yeah, we, <laughs> if we don't quit, we win. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about getting back up and continuing to pursue the life of Jesus. And this, if you can view the, all of James through this lens, like it's not, don't quit. Just keep on pressing. Keep on walking. Keep on stepping. Keep on believing. Keep on allowing his word to transform you and change you from the inside out. You will, you will reach the other side. It may not be a sprint, but it'll be step by step, moment by moment, day by day. And so here we see, here we see this in James 1. James 1, 2 to 3. Consider pure, boy, uh, pure joy, my brothers and sisters. What? Whenever, not if ever, not if, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So trials are situations that happen to us. We've all experienced this. We're walking on life. Everything's looking great. Everything's working, you know, like the road is clean, the road is clear, and then, bam, something happens, right? Family crisis, marriage breakdown, financial ruin, something happens to us from out on the outside, and we are left to figure out how to walk through this in a Christ-like manner. Does anyone else, you don't need to show hands, but has anyone experienced something like that before? You know, life is all good, everything's working, and then something happens, and we are now, it feels like we're just in the fire. It feels like we're walking on glass and bare feet. Like we got to figure out how to get through this season or this situation. And James is saying, listen, this kind of stuff is going to happen. You, you can't avoid this in life, especially as a follower of Jesus. You have to understand, listen, these kind of hardships are going to come your way. You are going to come against resistance. 
as a follower of Jesus. You are, you are in a battle. There's a battle happening on, and you need to understand that. And so Jesus is saying, how do we work through that? I'm going to be really practical with you this morning. I think the book of James is very practical. It gives us really practical advice on Christian living. So how do we navigate through this together? Here's a big thought I want you to understand. This is sort of the first half of my message when it comes to trials. He said, listen, God wants to use trials to mature us. God wants to use trials, those situations that we encounter in our life, to mature us. James is telling his people, listen, I know it's hard. I know you're feeling difficulty, but don't lose heart. Allow this season to develop maturity in you. This is our aim for who, for, as we've received salvation. We talked about salvation all last series, right? That we, it's a gift for free, that we've received it through faith, by grace, according to in Christ, according to Scripture, by the, for the glory of God. This was given to us. If we've received that, we're going to come against resistance. And ultimately, the ultimate aim for us is to walk through this process of called sanctification, of being made new every day. We are justified in a moment. We are saved in a moment. But we are being made new day by day as we allow his spirit to transform us. And so we have to lean into this idea that this exterior trial, this things that happen to us, is going to mature us in our faith. How? Well, James tells us. This is so, I'm not even making this up. I'm just reading the scripture for you, all right? How does he do it? One, we got to get God's perspective, he says. That's the first step. What does he say? He can, says, consider pure joy. Consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You got to get God's perspective. If you got to make it through the hardships, you got to get a better perspective. I was thinking about this a little bit this week. It's kind of like two people going to the gym or doing CrossFit. People who do CrossFit, they're next level crazy, right? They just see it in a different way. But you can go to CrossFit and two people, you can go one day and you can see this CrossFit training exercise of doing jump ropes and pull-ups and burpees and all the, all the things that hell is made of. And you can <laughs> go <laughs> and you can look at that and say, this is horrible. Why am I doing this to myself? This is the worst. But then somebody else can go through it and they state they have a different perspective of it because not only it's seeing the, the hardship that's in front of them, but they're seeing the benefit on what's on the other side of it, right? They're both doing the same actions, but the perspective is gonna change how they're gonna work through that hardship. It's the power of perspective. Right off the top, James is telling us that we need a new perspective when it comes to to hardships when it comes to thriving in this life. Okay, what do we know about perspective? Perspective does not change your problem. You know? You still got to do the work. You still got to do those 25 burpees. I'll do two. We'll call it a day. I'll meet in the middle. You know? And uh, so you still got to do the work. It doesn't, change, it doesn't change the problem, but what it does is it changes your posture. It changes your posture to see Jesus and to see what is in front of you as a way to develop something deep within you that wasn't there yet. The potential's there, but it's not there yet. And God wants to use these trials to get you a different perspective to develop maturity in you. What else do we have to do in this process? In other, we also have to then trust God's process. Not only do we have to get a different perspective, we actually have to trust God's process. James 1.4, let let perseverance, what it's got to do, it's got to finish its work, right? It's got, you got to go through it. You got to do the whole thing. You can't just show up, do five minutes of that, that CrossFit and expect to, be a, expect to be different on the other side of it. You got to do the work. You got to go through the process. You got to, you got to, there's a, it's going to be painful at times or uncomfortable at times, but you got to do the work. There is process to growth and not all stages of growth are pretty and easy. 
We've all went through that little ugly stage. You know, we were developing maturity in our bodies, and we went through that ugly stage. Remember that stage? Maybe, was I the only one who went through the ugly stage? <laughs> Buck teeth, ears are so big, bad haircut, thanks mom. You know, like, that ugly, like, that's the process of maturity. Not all stages of growth are pretty, but we gotta pursue, we gotta push through that process. I love how Romans 8 tells us that all things work together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his calling toward to his promise, that there is, a, there is a, a purpose in place, that there is a process that needs to take place, a, a purpose of development that we have to allow ourselves to trust the process. I, I served a pastor, and he said that every day it felt like, trust the process, trust the process, where I begin to like, no, I don't want to trust the process, you know, but I'm learning. That's how you got to trust the process in our life. I don't know a lot, but I learned, this is what I've learned. I've learned that I need to trust God. I need to trust his process. I can gain a perspective and I begin to trust the process that God wants. So here's the thing. So if God then wants to use trials to mature us, okay, if God wants to use trials to mature us, then we can use trials then to draw near to God. Like that's, that's our response. If God wants to use these trials that we have faced in our life, the things that happen to us, situations that happen to us, then we can receive or we can respond by using these trials as an opportunity to draw closer to God. C.S. Lewis, he writes this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He, he speaks to us in our conscience. But what does he do? He, he's a, he shouts to us in our pain. It's, a, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes in order to hear God, in order to respond to God, we need to be going through these valleys that we depend on God, rely on God. Because left to our own devices, if we're in a season where everything is good and everything is glorious, the sun is shining, the water is clear, Family is loving us, the, finance, the bills are paid. I mean, it's easy just to say we did this on our own. It's easy to, th to think we got this in our, own, in our own merit, in our own effort. Sometimes when we go through these trials, it's God just saying, hey, hey don't, forget, don't forget about me. Come back to me. Come on, let's grow together. Let's grow together. And so how do we do this? What does James tell us? He continues to go. If we can draw closer to God, then what can we do? Well, we can ask for his help. We can ask for his help. This sounds so simple, but yet it's so profoundly spiritual. Like there's something that God wants to do that we can actually just ask God for help. That God wants to hear from you, that you can speak to him at any moment, that you can call upon the name of the Lord, that you can draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But James tells us, he says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, if you, if you don't know what to do, when you're facing this trial, when you're facing this hardship, here's what you can do. You can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Who's all? You're all. He's not speaking just to the spiritual, to the elite, to the pastors, to the parents. No, to all. He can speak. To, he wants, if you need God's wisdom, you can ask for it and he will give it to you without finding fault. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowledge applied, Right? It's not just knowing about God. It's not just knowing what, that there is an option or something to do. It's applying that knowledge to your life experiences. Next week, we're going to talk about don't just be hearers of the word, James tells us, but doers of the word. Don't just listen to the word of God. Don't just listen to knowledge, but apply that knowledge to your life through wisdom. Listen, if you need wisdom, if you need help in discerning what to do, when to stop, when to start, when to move, when to turn, when to, when to just trust, you know, that you can, God will give you wisdom to apply your knowledge to the situation that you are facing. Then he tells us to stand firm in our faith. So we need to ask for help and then stand firm in our faith. But when you ask, he says, you must believe and not doubt. 
Like you, you, there's an element of just trusting in the one that you're asking for. Like if you're going to God and asking for help, you need to trust that he's able to help you. Don't doubt. Don't, don't be pushing away, he says, because the one who doubts is like a wave of sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect anything from the Lord, for such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Jesus is speaking to those who say, I trust God, but then develop a backup plan in the process. You know? Those who say, oh, I trust God with everything, but then they work on the side saying, well, just in case he doesn't come through, I'm going to have a little plan of my own. You know? I remember... It was a couple summers ago. I'm sure this happened with my boys too, but I remember uh, Pastor Spencer and his family were over at our house in Ottawa, and we, have a, we had an above-ground pool, and their son Silas was, he, he was two years old maybe, year and a half, two. Anyway, he had his water wings on. He was super cute, his goggles. Spencer was in the water, and Silas is like, he's like, jump. He's like, jump, and you could see Silas on the, he's like, you know, it's like I want to do it, but I'm not so sure I want to do it. Like, he's like, I want to jump, but I don't trust that you're going to catch me. I, tr- I don't trust that I'm not going to drown. Like, there is this tent tape, and I can see Silas uh, Spencer's like, just jump, you know, like, just trust me. You know, and I think this is what it's like. Hey, we, we say we trust God, but then we're standing on the side going, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can fully submit to you, fully surrender. I, I know about you. I believe in you, but can I trust you? You know, and, and God's saying, and James is telling us, listen, if you're going to ask for help, you can also trust he's going to help you. You can trust that he's going to come through. You can trust that he's going to catch you. You can trust that he's going to give you wisdom, which is knowledge applied to navigate this hardship, to navigate this season. Is it going to be the way you want to do it? Not all the time. Probably not, actually, which means that's why you got to trust him. If he, was, if he always responds the way you want to respond, then he's really you're not asking him to trust him. You're just, you're just asking him the green light what you want to do all the time. So we got to trust him. we got to lean into him, Peter tells us, First Peter is almost, I love First and Second Peter, they're very similar to James. Same themes, he says, Peter tells these trials will show that your faith is genuine. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. You know, as we continue to learn and lean into him, it's about being, it's about being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more, pre- though your faith is far more precious than just mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it would bring much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Listen, as you continue to trust him with your life, not only are you reaping the benefits of that trust, but your trust is actually offering praise to God. You're saying, you're worthy of my praise. I can trust you with my Life. Nick, when he spoke a couple weeks ago, talked about the process of purifying precious metals as they would heat it up, they would go through trial. It would go through trial, and as it went through that trial, as it was being the process of maturity, all the, the stuff, the crud, the garbage, the filth of the metals would rise to the surface, and the, and the, the person who's doing it would scrape that stuff off the top of the hot lava, lava metal. And they would just continue to heat it up again and heat it up again and heat it up again and kick off more stuff and more stuff, trial after trial after trial through the process of maturity until the, the person who's doing it could see the reflection in the metal. And this is what Peter, this is what James is telling This is a process of maturity. God wants to develop something within you where he can then see himself in you, in your reflection of how you act and more importantly, how you react to hardship and trials, and suffering. And we repeat the process over and over again. So God wants to use trials to mature us and use them as an opportunity for us to draw closer to God. These are not, you know, this is not necessarily bad. We can grow in this. We can develop in this. He's speaking to the church 
who has been scattered saying, listen, this is hard, I know, but do not lose heart. You're going to be okay. God wants to develop something in you. Don't quit. If you don't quit, you will win. If you don't quit, you will win. So he talked about trials. And then he talks about temptation. And so what God wants to use trials to mature us, we need to understand this, is that Satan wants to use temptations to destroy you. This is an important factor. God wants to use trials to mature us, but Satan wants to use temptations to destroy us. Here we go, James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. There are very few things that God cannot do. Tempting you is one of them. Hear me now. If you're going through a temp season of temptation where there's something, there's a struggle within you, that is not God. God does not tempt you. He cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt you. He cannot do it. It is against who he is. Trials are situations that happen to us from the outside, but temptations are struggles that happen within us. When we are tempted, we always come to this moment of a choice. Every one of you, I don't have to start listing the list of temptations that you and I face. We all know the list of temptations that we struggle with, right? We don't need to air them out. You all know what they are. And when you have that moment of temptation, every one of us know that this is not a wall or a dead end, but this is actually a fork in the road. And how we respond to that temptation within us will determine which road we take. We're either going to walk the path of righteousness for his name's sake, right? Or we're going to go down the valley of the shadow, the valley of the of shadow that leads to death. The valley of, you know what I'm talking about, that one. <laughs> shadow of valley, whatever it is. Shadow, valley of shadow leads to death. You know what I'm talking about. It's in the Bible. Just read the Bible. <laughs> anyway, we continue. So we go through this process. So temptation. So here's the question. How will we respond? How do we respond when temptation happens within you? Here we go. we got to understand the process of temptation. That's the first step. Understand that this is not from God, that God is unable to test you, that he's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to trap, trap you. But here is the reality. There is within us this thing called the sinful nature, right? The sinful nature that is always trying to rise up and take the authority of our life. To be, we want to become the Lord of our life. We want to become the, the champions of our own destiny. We want to direct our own, direct our own steps. But dying to ourself and taking up our cross and following him is allowing that, that spirit man or that sinful man to, to lay way to the spirit of God that wants to lead us and rule us and lead us into righteousness. And so there is a way in that. And here's the thing we need to understand without getting weird. I'm not trying to be weird about it, but Satan wants to take that temptation within you that he knows is in you, that sinful nature, that, and he wants to twist that. And he wants to turn it against, he wants to turn it against you. He wants to divide you against God. Here's what we need to know. If God's primary purpose, if God's primary pursuit is to unite us in Christ, like that's what God, that's his primary pursuit. He wants to unite us and bring us back into relationship through Christ, right? That's what the whole salvation is all about. If that's his primary pursuit, then Satan's primary pursuit is to divide us from Christ. Like he's trying to get us, he's trying to do the opposite. 
There is a spiritual tug of war at place in our life. Now, the victory tells us, the Easter story tells us that God has already won. Jesus has already won. Death has already been, there is death is no more. But there is that spiritual sinful nature that is resting with us until the return of Christ. And so James goes on in verse 14, he says, but when you're tempted, when each person is tempted, what are they? They are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Again, this is something that's inside of us. And then after that it has conceived, it gives birth to death, uh, birth to sin, and sin when fully grown, it gives birth to death. And so here is this tension that we are living in. This is this temptation that is trying to pull us away from the pathway of God. It's trying to destroy us from the inside out. And so we need to understand the process of temptation. I want to show you what that looks like today. One, it starts with deception. It process starts with deception. It all, this started all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when Jesus, when God, when enemy comes, Satan appears to Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat that? Did God really say, and there is a, there is a, a this line has been sown, this, this, this phrase has been sown into our hearts as a seed of deception into all of us. All of us have this moment where we are being deceived. Did God really say, am I really not allowed to do that? Because what does it do? It takes our eyes off God and it starts looking around. Did God really say, is, there a, is, is, is God's way really the best way? Is, is my way better? Do I see it differently? Maybe, maybe God hasn't really caught up to current culture, to current trends. Maybe he hasn't caught on that, you know, times have changed. You know, he has, he's lost on that reality. Maybe, maybe I should choose God's way or my way. What if I choose my way? Do I even need God? And it, maybe my way is the better way. And we wrestle through this deception, believing that we actually don't need God, that we actually think better than God, that we're clear with God, that we actually see the problem of sin and pain and this world better than God. And so we continue to live that way. And it's the soil ground for temptation. So once, de once deception is there, then desire begins to develop. It begins to germinate within our hearts. If deception provides the fertile soil for desire to actually grow within us, right? Now, it's important for us to understand, desire is not sin. You haven't, actually, you haven't gone through the action of sin at this point yet. There is a, a desire that the, that the enemy is beginning to twist and to feed and to fan into flame. He, he wants, it's just the temptation part, right? He, he's trying to pull you out. It's like putting bait on a hook. You know, it's like going fishing. You gotta put the bait on the hook. You want to desire. It's like I want to desire you, entice you to bite the bait, to bite the hook. The enemy knows what the perfect bait for you and I is. He knows what your temptations are. He knows what your flaws are. He knows your weaknesses are. And he wants to bait you specifically for you. That's why every one of us struggle with different temptations. And then it comes down to disobedience. This is the moment of the act of sin. This is, this is the act where we actually walk down the path that leads to death. This is the path that walks down where we actually disobey God, we turn our back on God, and left, un, left unrepentant, it actually leads to death. And this is where death develops, where guilt and shame and condemnation grow with inside of each and every one of us. And every one of us in this room, we know exactly what this looks like because we've all experienced it at one point or another. We've all gone through this. This is part of the human condition. This is why Jesus came into the world, to conquer death once and for all. It's been said that sin will take you further than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost more than you want to pay. Sin is good until it's not. Right? Sin is good. It's fun. 
until it's not, until you realize what it actually is going to cost you. So here is this process. We need to understand the process of deception. And the thing we need to then is then understand and acknowledge and be honest with our weakness. So understand the process of temptation, but then be honest about our weakness. None of us are strong enough on our own. He says in James 1.16, he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Like, don't, don't be foolish to believe that you can do this on your own. You need the Spirit. You need the presence of God. You need the power of God at work in your life. Peter tells us to stay alert and to watch out for the great enemy, the devil, for he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Like, he is always on the hunt for you and I to destroy us, to devour us, to divide us from God. Paul tells us about us, he said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient. He's, Paul is speaking about God. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Why? Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Why? So that Christ's power may rest in me, may be complete in me. I don't want to hide my weakness, so i got to figure this to myself. I'm going to boast about my weakness. I'm going to put it on the altar to allow the power of God to be made perfect in me. For where I am weak, his, he is strong. So if Satan wants to use temptation to destroy us, I want you to hear this now. We can use temptation as a target for growth. Okay, what does Satan do? When he's trying to tempt us, what he's doing? He's showing his cards. He's showing you his battle plan for your life. He's showing you where he's going to attack. He's telling you where the weakness of the wall is. So you and I can either just let him do it, or we can say, we need to destroy that area. We need to double down. We need to, get some, we need to get some protective measures in place in that area because that area is weak. And so we have to, we use it as a target for growth. Satan wants to identify his battle plan. I love, I had a, I had a, a teacher in college, his name is Mark Hawks, and, and I remember going through seasons with him and we were talking about what it actually means to be a man of God. You know, and in my mind was, oh, me a man of God is be able to stand in the battle and stand strong and never fall. And he was like, no, 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 being a man of God is knowing your weakness. And just don't put yourself in that weakness. Like, stop going back to that area that you're going to fall. Like, if you're going to go to that place and you're going to get drunk, every time you go there, you're drinking, well, stop going back there. You know, like, being a man of God is not being strong enough to go there and stand. Being a man of God is saying to someone, I know if I go there, I'm going to fall, so I'm just not going to go there. Like, that's what it takes, and that's what we have to do. We have to flee from sin. We need to understand our weakness, and then we need to learn how to overcome. James 1.17, for every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heaven lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Meaning, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His plan does not change. His character, his values, his pursuit for you does not change. Darkness cannot reside in the, where, where light is present. God is good all the time, and my friends, all the time, say it. God is good. Now we know that all things are not good, but we know that God is good in all things. And so we continue to lean onto this idea that we serve a God who is faithful, who is reliable, who is trustworthy, who is present, who shows up in our darkness, who shows up in our struggle, who shows up in our temptations, and he will provide a way out. Paul tells us no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, what do you do? He will provide a way out for you to stand, and so you can stand up under it. Well, what is this way out? We're running out of time. I'm trying to get you some information. Here's the temptation. Here's what we can do. Here's the way we can stand. You ready for it? We need to avoid the situation, step one. 
Avoid, you, you gotta avoid the situation. Flee. Flee from the passions of your youth, Paul tells Timothy. Like, flee from those passions and pursue righteousness along with all those who are following God. Like, run away from them. Don't stand in them. Avoid the situation. Second, we need to counter it with the word. You need to counter temptation with the word of God. We see this when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. But we even see David in Psalm 119. He says, thy word have I hidden in my heart, so I will not sin against you. Like, I want to plant your word so deeply in my heart and my spirit, so when temptation rises, I can counter that temptation with the truth of God's word. If we're we're living a spiritual warfare, then we need to have spiritual weapons. And the word of God is your best spiritual weapon. You need to know the word of God. You need to apply it to your life. Avoid the situation. Counter with the word. Thirdly, develop healthy friendships. You need to to surround yourself with the right kind of people. The people who are doing this with you. People who are pursuing and fleeing evil, fleeing sin, fleeing darkness, fleeing the passion of their youth, and along those who who call upon the Lord. You need to run and pursue Jesus. James, a little bit later, we're going to talk about this, where he says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Right? You may be set free. You may, you may experience healing and freedom in your life. You've got to actually confess your sins to somebody who's walking with you, who's, walking, who's encouraging you, praying for you, supporting you, keep holding, keep holding you accountable as you avoid the situation. This is why I believe small groups are so critical or serving together in teams is so critical. You cannot live faith alone. You need somebody with you. The thirdly, the last thing is you need to commit it to prayer. You need to commit it to prayer Paul tells us in Philippians, don't worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and position, present your requests to the Lord. Commit it to prayer. You need to ask God to bless you. You need God God to give you strength and courage. You need God to give you wisdom and understanding, patience, and strength to endure the trials and the temptations. Ready for a dad joke? You ready for it? If you don't want to live a highway to hell, you got to ACDC. You gotta avoid the situation. You gotta counter it with the word. You gotta develop godly friendships. And you gotta commit it to prayer. Come on now. Hopefully you'll remember that. Lord, forgive me for showing ACDC in church. All right. Let's move on. Some of you are like, who's ACDC and what's this song called Highway to Hell? Ask your parents. All right, let's move on. Last thing, and we're done. We need to choose to live in victory. Listen, we gotta live in victory. James 18, choose, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits he created. Listen, this is the whole salvation story. That God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. When we were lost in darkness, we we were lost and disheveled, we are far from God, but Jesus came into the world to make a way back to the Father. And he wants to be in relationship with you and I. The word of truth will become alive in us. Birth, I've discovered, is beautiful, right? We've experienced birth. Many of us have experienced it. Birth, well, we've all experienced birth, but some of us experienced it from a different perspective. It's beautiful. It's powerful. The potential is so bright. But how many people know that birth is just the beginning? Like, that's just the beginning of the process. There's a whole lot of maturity. There's a whole lot of development. There's a whole lot of life that they have to live, that we have to live. We have to develop maturity and growth that needs to take place. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we are anyone who's in Christ, anyone who's accepted Christ, and who's believed in Christ and trusts in him, 
He's a new creation. The old way is past and the new has become. If you don't quit, we win. This is the message of James. Like we gotta take the faith that we've received, but then we gotta, we gotta work that out. We gotta allow it to change us, to transform us, to soften some of the edges and to realign us and transform us into the image of Christ. The question you and I, all of us have to ask, anytime we open scripture, anytime we open God's word, anytime we sit in an environment like this, is here it is, is will we let him? Like are we just gonna read God's word and then go on and forget about it? Are we gonna encounter the presence of God like we did in worship this morning and forget about it? Or are we gonna allow it to transform us, strengthen us, and develop maturity within us? I invite you to stand your feet across this room. As you do, just close your eyes. Just gonna allow the Spirit of God to speak to us before we leave this place. Again, I've done my best to just teach you what I believe God has revealed to me in Scripture this week. But more than that, I would love the Holy Spirit would just speak to you today. And He would make true the words that were spoken in your heart. That you would know today that trials or, or situations that happen to you, temptations or struggles that happen within you. That God wants to use trials to mature us, to develop Christ-like character as we draw close to him. Satan wants to use temptations to destroy us. Therefore, we can see each temptation as an opportunity for growth. Spirit of God, I pray you would speak to us today. Every one of us in this room are far from perfect. Every one of us in this room, God, struggle with some sort of temptation within us and currently may be facing some kind of trial around us. God, I pray that we would continue to pursue you in all, through all seasons. We allow your spirit to win in us. We thank you, God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Help us gain your perspective and trust your process of Christ-like maturity. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you have removed our transgressions from us. God, we've been forgiven and set free if we've confessed our need for you and we've confessed our belief in you. Help us to lean into, into you when temptations arise. Help us to avoid the situations and encounter it with the word of God. Develop friends, healthy friendships and commit every struggle and every trial and every temptation to prayer. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you transform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us today. We thank you that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so today what we do is we just once again acknowledge our need for you. We once again receive your spirit anew and afresh the word of God. May it speak to our hearts and change our lives. And God, may we be people who reflect you clearly. May the trials that we face and the temptations that we have to overcome, may it develop within us a maturity that reflects you clearly this world. Thank you, Father, that you never leave us nor forsake us. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. We will not be afraid. We put our faith and our trust in you today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.